the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer, San Diego. Welcome to the Pro-America Report. Good to be with you, and thank you for joining on Periscope. At Eagle Ed Martin, those of you that are listening on the radio, you can always go uh, to, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing at the comments on Periscope. You can always go to at Eagle Ed Martin. You can also go to Ed Martin Live on uh, F- Facebook, and we'll get to that. We have some great guests today uh, to, on the program. John Schlafly, John Schlafly, uh, who will be a guest. He is, uh, of course, half of the Schlafly Report and the son of the late Phyllis Schlafly. So we'll talk to him about leadership and some of the great leaders that he knows, including General Flynn and General John Singlob, the head of America's Future, an organization with which I also work. And we'll also talk with Tammy Nichols, a state representative from Idaho. Idaho is, of course, a a great state in the West, has been a state that has great freedom, has a lot of Californians moving there, messing it up. Uh, But Tammy Nichols will give us an idea on what's happening in Idaho. And it's always good, you know, a bit of news on that front. The president is allowing today the national uh, stay-at-home declarations that he promulgated to expire. And what he's saying is he got to decide state by state. One size fits all doesn't work. Now, I'll tell you, the danger there is you're going to get some uh, some people who are bullies uh, that are grabbing power. And I, I spend a bunch of my time in Washington, D.C., in the swamp. The D.C. is run by real far leftists, real not only leftists, but incompetent people. They're leftists and they're incompetent. So it's a deadly combination, literally. And uh, I think they think they're going to lock down D.C. till like the end of the summer. And, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to kill you're going to kill what was left of the economy and, and completely uh, dead in the water. But we'll see about that. So we'll see. But the president did do that. He allowed that to expire. It's worth noting that. And um, it's really important. So we'll talk about that later on in the program also. But first, let's get to what you need to know today. What you need to know, the wink. I'll remind you, go to edmartinlive.com and sign up. You get the daily wink in the morning, comes into your email box, 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 o'clock East Coast time. In between, if you can't do the math, uh, you can email me. I'll fill, fill you in for it. But get, get over there and sign up because it's a, it's a great um, service. It's a great email, and I you know, do say so myself. But here's what today's wink is, what you need to know. This General Flynn thing, first of all, let me just give a tribute. If you don't know this guy, General Flynn, at this point, I hope you will come become acquainted with him. Um, General Flynn's biography reads like the ultimate Horatio Alger story, the ultimate American story. I was thinking today that he has a little bit of um, he has a little bit of a kind of Clarence Thomas. You know, Clarence Thomas. There's a documentary out recently, and Clarence Thomas's story is extraordinary. He was he was raised basically by his grandparents, and he was came from nothing, and he looked like he was going to go nowhere, and he came all the way up through that. Well, Flynn's kind of the the opposite side of it in the sense he was from the north north uh, northeast Rhode Island. Flynn, huge family, bunch of brothers and sisters, but he went to college locally in Rhode Island, joined the army, worked his way up. He was so smart, so tough, such a fighter, so brave. He was promoted, 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 hero in the wars, became an expert in the, in, in, in the counterinsurgency and how you deal with things. He's actually considered one of the real innovators in the last 20 or 30 years in the military. He's a, a genius. And he also then went to work in the government. 
He worked for Obama, disagreed with Obama, but served admirably. And when Obama didn't want him there, he left and moved on and served Trump and all that. He has a great storyline. I hope you'll learn more about it. Uh, But if you saw his Twitter feed yesterday, at Jen Flynn, at G-E-N Flynn, he hasn't tweeted in years now, two years, two and a half years. About five days ago, he tweeted his declaration, which is a filing he did that said, they set me up. It's from about three months ago, but he filed it five days ago. And yesterday in the afternoon, early evening, I guess, he posted 12 seconds of him with his phone, I think, looking out over green, greener, he must have gone for a walk. He's a big walker. and a, Actually, he's a big surfer. Surprise. I mean, he surfs to this day. He was surfing yesterday, I think. I don't know if he was surfing yesterday. He was surfing. He's a surfer all the time. He's near enough to his house that he goes out there. Um, but he went for a walk. Could have been yesterday because I know he would have had a surfboard. But he, the, the image, 12 seconds of just an American flag waving in the breeze. No words, no tweets, no, no, nothing, nothing on the tweet, no language. Just the American flag. We've talked on this show about the Pledge of Allegiance, Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for In one 12-second tweet, it's been watched 4.5 million times. General Flynn sent the message, I'm not going to gripe and be bitter. I'm not going to be someone who's uh, different than who you think I am. I'm just going to show the American flag because... In the last 30 hours, what you need to know, since we were on together, so I guess 24 hours, but some of it was released yesterday and I hadn't seen it. The government has released documents that show that at the highest level, they were seeking to trap, if not entrap, Flynn. They were actually strategizing how to take the man, Flynn, and find a crime to stick to him. I mean, if, 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 I, if I told you the facts and I used Soviet names from 1950 or if I used Chinese names from today in Chinese communist, uh, communist regime, you'd say, oh, identifiable easily. I see it completely. That's what the communists do to each other. That's what, they, that's what their MO is. But this is America. And it reads like the worst you can imagine. Senior FBI officials... All the way up, it looks like, to the director and the deputy director. And more, more documents came out just hours ago, two hours ago, that showed that they were, they, were, they were trying to destroy a man by, by finding a crime to charge. This is what you'll hear, as, by the way, as a lawyer. You hear a lot of times when you're going through law school and you're practicing, you hear lots of people that are guilty of some crime and they complain that the system is stacked against them. And a lot of times you kind of roll your eyes and you say, well, you know, this is what happens when somebody does something wrong. You're like, oh, it, it, that, that's some." And yet in this case, what's clear is this system was not partially corrupt. It was not minimally corrupt. Yeah, lock them up. Someone said on Twitter, on Twitter and on Periscope right now, lock them up. You're right. We'll get to that in a minute. But it was completely corrupt at the highest levels down through the ranks in this case. They were all participating in this. It's stunning. And the idea that an American general, that, that, that the national security, security advisor to the president of the United States would be targeted. James Comey admitted on his book tour, he said, yeah, under another president or another party or another time, we probably wouldn't have tried this, but we knew we could try it because Trump was inexperienced. These guys weren't really political. We were hacks. What he basically was saying, we're hacks. We know how the game goes and we'll go in and we'll get these guys. That's what they said. That's what Comey said. 
Now, you remember the, the, the famous story, I think it's from the mid-1800s, maybe 1860s, the story developed, and, and it's about the little boy who's walking home from school in, uh, in Holland, and he sees a hole in the dike, and he puts his thumb in the, in the dike, and he stops the dike, and they all, th- you know, to basically save the whole community if the water had come through, destroy everyone. A little boy. Well, General Flynn is our little boy with his thumb in, up against the coup, maybe him and Roger Stone. Because what's clear from the exercise that we're seeing was the plan was to get Flynn to be a piece of a puzzle to roll him up to take out the president. And had Flynn been willing to play along and lie and plead and go up, they would have rolled up the president. And in the usual swampy coup land, that's what they intended to do and they would have gotten away with. And lots of people in the past probably had to go through that to save themselves or to save their son. That's what they were doing to Flynn or whatever it was. But the fact that he didn't cave in and remember what happened was they said, if you do this, we won't go after your son. And then they pretty quickly said, we want you to uh, say this and say that and say the other thing. And we now have on the record that Flynn's original lawyers were making sort of side conversations with the prosecutors because they're all swampy lawyers that practice together all the time. And they were talking, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll figure it out. If he played along, the coup might've succeeded. There are two men that stood athwart this battle in different ways one is general flynn clear as can be now and the other one is roger stone his trial was his trial was a sham too but both of them ought to get medals for fighting against the coup but here's one i want to tell you and i want to encourage you i think i can say this i no i better not i'll just say this i talked to someone close to general flynn so i won't tell you it was general flynn Although I did talk to General Flynn, but this was what he said. But this is one of, one of his, one of his uh, buddies, I'll say that. Maybe his brother. But his buddy said this, and I can back this up. The General Flynn is a trained fighter his whole life for America, for that flag that he put on his Twitter feed. And when he's done this, and the day is coming now, he can see that day now. He couldn't see it all these years, maybe, but he believed in it. I can tell you that. I know firsthand. He believed in it. And the day's coming, and when it does, what you need to know is the people who did this to Flynn and to we the people, they're coming. The day is coming. Comey, McCabe, others, the reckoning is coming. Flynn's going to have a lot to do with it. So are we, we the people. But you know, at the end of the day, I got to tell you, isn't it true? However, by up and down, in and out, President Trump, his presidency, it's draining the swamp. It's draining the swamp. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back in a moment. Tammy Nichols. So let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a minute. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, old friend of the show, my old friend for a long time, Tammy Nichols, who was, before she got famous and became a big shot, she was just the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles leader in Idaho and really active in lots of different causes and raising her family in a small business and just all over the place. Well, now she's a state representative for District 11 in the Idaho legislature. I was out there, I don't know, was it, uh, Tammy, a year ago, a year and a half ago, out there to see her and, and see her in action. It's impressive and important. So welcome, Tammy. How are you? 
I'm good. Thank you, Ed, for having me on. I hope everyone's doing well and uh, handling the craziness that's going on in our our nation and world today. So thank you. It it is crazy. First, let me ask you about your family. you got a big family and everybody well in your family and everybody handling everything okay? You know, I do. My kids are all doing great. I actually had uh, one that just came back from South Africa because of the COVID outbreak. He was actually out on a on a church mission, and he had to come back a little bit early, but um, it's been nice to have him back. But everybody's doing well. Kids are a little bored because school got out kind of early for them, even though they're doing some of the online stuff, but it's just not quite the same. So, But yeah, we're all doing well. Good, good, good to hear. I'm glad that I'm glad. Now, how's Idaho holding up? I mean, you know, you guys have a pretty good, um, I think New Hampshire says their motto is live free or die, but Idaho has had a really good record of being pretty uh, smart and sane about living free. I know you've, I've, you've joked in the past that too many people from California realize it's nice to be there and they're starting to muddy up things. But how's, how's Idaho holding up in terms of balancing the, you know, the, the health concerns, but the, you know, the freedom we expect? Well, how's it going there? You know, Idaho is is unique. Um, we we are known as a very pro conservative, pro liberty loving state, and that's that's usually the the sentiment that is you know expressed throughout. And when people come and visit, they do realize that there is something unique and different about Idaho with with um, freedom and liberty. Um, but this uh, this whole COVID thing has really um, kind of gave us an interesting uh, look. Um, Idaho has not had near the cases or the deaths or anything along those lines as other states have been experiencing. Um, Actually, out of our 44 counties, only four counties, I believe, have had any um, COVID issues. But yet we are treating the state as a whole almost equally to um, what New York is experiencing and doing things similar to that. Uh, I just actually had a call with the governor's office today, a legislative call, and um, they're starting starting to be a lot of concern and a lot of issue on how things are being handled. And the legislature Mm -hmm. really isn't part of this process, which is also concerning to us. Um, and so um, the governor and and a few that are around him are making the vast decisions on things. And we mm-hmm. really don't feel that our numbers reflect what we are doing. Um, we want to see people get back to work. Uh, we have businesses that are already starting to open up that are kind of going against the grain of the order that has been put into our state. Um, because it seems that our governor wants to continue to go every two weeks and then another two weeks and then another two weeks even though we're not seeing the um the issues taking hmm. place here well now what's your sense of that is it is it um is he listening to the wrong people is he abundance of caution i mean i do know one thing if you're if as you know and we would we probably i sound like a legislator when i say this but governors get in office and then they sort of just get they get safe right they don't they often just mm-hmm. don't want to do anything that and is it just that is it what 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 is your sense about it? is he listening to you the governor's office now are they paying attention to what you're saying You know, I think there's a few different factors that come into play with it. I want to say that he is listening to other people, but that's not the, that's not the, um, the feedback that I am getting. Um, again, I think there is an echo chamber that he has and that anyone outside of that echo chamber 
uh, is, is having a hard time trying to get across to him. Uh, again, the legislature is not being utilized. We really don't have any say. The calls that we get on um, are muted. Uh, we are able to ask a few little questions here and there, but the um, answers that we get really don't clarify anything for us, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, and we have our constituents are constantly asking us, when are we going to get back to, to normal or at least, you know, because in my, in my view and in many other um, leadership's view here in the state, we feel that businesses can open up responsibly, that they will do everything in their power to be able to be responsible in what they do and to make their, their businesses safe um, for those that, that come in and, and um, go there. And so uh, we really believe that if these big box stores where they have hundreds of people working there and going in and out of there on a daily basis, if they can utilize methods for people to be able to come in and go to their businesses, we don't think that that should be any different for the small businesses, the, the non-essential businesses. And again, I've been telling people, I don't know what a non-essential business is. I don't know what a non-essential <laughs> job is. That that yeah. doesn't even you know span in my brain because I don't know what that is. I've never utilized one, and I've never had a job that's non-essential, and I don't know anyone that does. So yeah. um, so that's part of our concern <laughs> is we really feel that people need to get back to work. Our economy is just you know going down the tubes faster than we can keep up with it. Um, unemployment, of course, is, is high. We're going back to numbers that we have seen uh, the last time during the Great Depression, um, and so right. we really need to get people back up and running and working again. And we really believe that businesses can take the right approaches to do it responsibly. We are we're talking with Tammy Nichols, and I should say uh, at Nichols for Idaho is her on Twitter. It's uh, at Nichols for Idaho uh, on Twitter, uh, and then uh, Nichols for Idaho dot com uh, N I C H O L S for Idaho dot com for more on her and what's going on. Tammy, um, tell me about the election. There is a there is an election this year, and there's a primary this year. You, I, I just was getting the details off off the air. You, you, your primary is is supposed to be on the nineteenth of May, but it's it's rolling. It's open for a week or two what does that tell me what that means yeah so um you know we're we're still trying to figure it out as we go along um it's almost like we're building the plane while we're flying it and (laughs) so yeah may 19th is our primary there was a lot of pushback in our state to not change that date so what our um, elections offices the secretary of state's office has done is where everything's done is being done by mail-in ballot um there's been a lot of confusion on that because at first, people were having to request a ballot, and now the state has decided to just mail out everybody's request forms to them. And so there's some confusion on, on what's going on. Of course, our elections offices were not set up for any of this, so they've been behind mm-hmm. trying to get copies of ballots and the mailers and, and getting things set up to be able to handle the amount of numbers um, that they're getting from people requesting. But yeah, so May 19th is the date of our primary. And so they're keeping that date, but somehow they're using some other rules and and laws to be able to extend the, um, the date that they will take ballots through the 2nd of June. So we're seeing information hmm. that's coming out from different entities, and it's either saying May 19th or June 2nd. So, so there's hmm. some, some confusion, but May 19th is the actual primary, but they're taking ballots up through June 2nd. So. Hmm. It <laughs> so is, yeah, it's uh, yeah it's, that 
That doesn't sound that doesn't sound like the best path to integrity. I, I have to tell you, but um, all right, Tammy. Yeah. Now, tell before I know the world is all about the Wuhan coronavirus is all we talk about, and, and rightly so in many ways. <laughs> but you know, before that, uh, before that came down, you know, we were working on different issues. What's what would you say, Idaho? You know, at this moment, you again, you've talked about how Idaho's changed. There's a lot more people that move there. There's a lot of things going on. What do you think the next couple of years for Idaho? What's your major issues you're facing? Well, um, before the virus, uh, I would say our uh-huh. major issues were going to be taxes. We heard a lot from our constituents in the state that our property taxes are too high. People feel they're just being taxed on everything. Um, and in the House discussion, we were we did pass some um, tax relief uh, legislation on property taxes and budget freezes and things mm-hmm. like that. Unfortunately, our efforts were were crushed on the Senate side. And so therefore, hmm. really no property tax or tax relief in general was given to the people in the state of Idaho this session. And so that was unfortunate because that was one of the number one things we heard. In fact, uh, myself and, and one of my co-legislators, we tried to even introduce um, the removal of the grocery tax credit so that we just don't tax the majority of groceries and we couldn't even get that out of our committee meeting um, this session which was funny because just a few years prior uh, grocery tax repeal passed both the House and Senate was vetoed by the governor and even went to court to try to overturn the governor's veto and then we couldn't even get it out of committee this time so um, so that is going to still be a major player I believe and especially with what's transpiring now because of the economical ramifications that are going to be occurring because of this I think taxes mm-hmm. are still going to be a huge issue um, because of the virus now I think jobs unemployment businesses um, you know especially the small businesses I think those are all going to come in as players um, during this next session and the state's budget. I really believe that the state's budget is going to be a big deal and that these bureaucratic agencies um, and even our counties and cities are going to have to tighten those purse strings because we're not going to have the revenue coming in that we were anticipating. Hmm. We're talking with Tammy Nichols, and again, it's uh, NicholsForIdaho.com to find out more about her. One last question, uh, Tammy. Um, the race for Senate, you've got um, uh, Jim Risch, the current incumbent senator. He's been in for two terms, running for a third term. What is the state of that race? I think I, I'm, I've see, I saw online it's the same primary or whatever, but who, who's in there? Is there? Does he have a real opponent? Is it, does it look like the year is going to be uh, a contested race? You know, I would say with that race, I haven't actually heard a whole lot about it. That's one of the other interesting things with this is that because everything's Mm. been up in the air because of the virus, people really don't know how to go about campaigning with it. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. really changed those factors. So I haven't really heard a whole lot about it um, for his race. I would I would say, you know, there might be there there is a contender or there is a Democrat that's trying to run um, against him. But I really don't feel that that she's got what it takes to to try to um, take him out. Um, I think because of, um, you know, where he's at on things and the different um, leadership positions Mm -hmm. he's had, he's going to be a tough one to try to try to beat. Well, uh, yeah. And, you know, I think you just said something really important. If you're an incumbent, you you always have the advantage anyway. And if you have an incumbent in this time, nobody can get much traction against uh, you for a race like that, for a Senate race. So, all right, Tammy, I got to run. Tammy Nichols, Nichols for Idaho. We'll put it all up. Thanks for serving and for being on. We'll talk again very soon, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a minute. 
Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. You know, we've been t- you've heard me talking about General uh, Mike Flynn so frequently and, and about uh, different aspects about his life and also his relationship with this wonderful General uh, Jack Singlob, who is one of the great American soldiers, probably probably the great American soldiers in our history. Just an extraordinary length of service. He had a little bit of the Phyllis Schlafly in terms of the length of his career. He started serving in the military in early 1944, maybe, 43, and was still serving the country uh, in uniform until just about 1980, maybe a year before that, but then continued in, in various ways and today continues to do be active and, and, and be engaged uh, to some extent. So a great guy. And that reminded me, we're going to talk to John Schlafly, and I thought, well... Let's ask John. There's been a ton of attention on Mrs. America, the, the Phyllis Schlafly series out of Hollywood. But they're covering what they want to cover. And I thought, John, why don't we – I want to talk about who, was, who would Phyllis Schlafly have put, if you could go back and ask her before she's gone, the, the top five uh, American leaders in the, you know, in her, that she had interacted with, that she saw. I mean, she famously wrote a book about, not really about Goldwater, but that helped launch Goldwater. She famously knew Reagan well. But um, what do you think about that? She, I knew she had an affection for Washington, George Washington, uh, in, in studying history. She thought he was a particularly indispensable American. But who would she have singled out that she knew? Well, all that is true, uh, Ed, and in the case of the uh, the candidates for president that she supported, whether it was Goldwater or Reagan, she thought, you know, those men were the right man for their time. Uh, and, uh, you know, you a moment ago you mentioned General Jack Singlob. Uh, Phyllis knew General Singlob, who's, of course, as you well know, both of us have had a chance to visit with him, uh, still still living after his wonderful service in the wars of our country. and But Phyllis has kn- knew him at least since the 1970s, and they worked together on many projects for the benefit of our country. So he would be high on the list. And among the people that she asked, for example, to accept the honor of being on the honorary advisory board for her organization... General Singlob was at the top of the list. And another one was uh, another military man, Admiral Jeremiah Denton, who was the prisoner of war in Hanoi for five years, and uh, then he was later elected to the United States Senate from Alabama. So those are two men which Uh, would be at the top of her list. Why is it, um, so she, why is it, John, do you them. think that... She picked them. Go ahead, be, sorry, go ahead. Uh, to, be, to be on her advisory board. And there were several other great men that she admired and put on the list. One, one uh, great leader that she admired very much, now this is going back several decades earlier, even than those two men. Uh, but this goes back to her younger days. There's, but a man named General Robert E. Wood... General Wood, who had a tremendous service in World War II, and then after the war, he became the chairman of the Sears Roebuck and Company, um, and launched Sears into the period when it became basically the, the America's greatest store. He was responsible for that. For the uh, and and then uh, General Wood uh, lent his name to an organization called America's Future. Uh, which now General Singlob is the chairman of. So those are three, I would say, three great examples. 
uh, John, I want to make one observation, but I, I might forget. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget to ask you. You're missing one of the incredible stories to me in Phyllis Schlafly's office. We're talking with John Schlafly, Phyllis Schlafly's oldest son, and um, and uh, worked worked with his mother for uh, upwards of the last 40 years of her life side by side. And in her office, I can picture the photograph of. Um, uh, Admiral Chester Ward, correct me if when I get these details wrong, was it Re- Re- Admiral Chester Ward? But where he referred to her as, as Phyllis, you know, to Phyllis Schlafly, our Joan of Arc for her role in, in the 1950s and 60s into the 70s in, 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 in speaking about the problem of the what they call the strategic balance. How do we balance our power against uh, in the Cold War against the Soviets? And she and she wrote books with him, which, again, kind of go back in time, these silly feminists. Um, this was a woman uh, author writing co-authoring books with a big time military guy. Right. I mean, I don't know the details. What was his background? Well, Chester Ward was a rear admiral in the United States Navy. I really don't know much of anything about his leadership career when he was on active duty, because when I knew him and when Phyllis knew him as a co-author, he was retired, and he was a tremendous mm-hmm. researcher, writer, He and, uh, and the, the, when Admiral Ward uh, read Phyllis's 1964 classic, a choice, not an echo. Admiral Ward said, "This is the person who can translate my somewhat difficult prose into readable English, for the, which the <laughs> American people can understand." And so they—that was their partnership. And uh, Phyllis uh, took his work. First of all, she was smart enough to understand what he was saying, and then even even more skillfully to put it into language that was readable. And they had a very, very successful partnership from 1964 to 1976 and co-authored, I think, four or five books together. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and, and that is uh, one of them is, by the way, which I love to tell people that it's called Strike from Space. And when the president of the United States, Donald Trump, was speaking about the Space Force and it had echoes back and people started talking about um, people said, oh, what are you doing? What are we doing? Space Force. And then they referred to Reagan, had these ideas on Star Wars. Of course, Reagan was right. So is President Trump. Uh, but Phyllis wrote a book, Strike, uh, Strike from Space, about the need for defense in, in, fa- in space uh, back in the late 60s, I think it was. Uh, John, you mentioned all those the leaders. Jeremiah Denton served in the Senate. Of course, there's others that serve in the in the Senate right now. Senator Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton was in the Army, but uh, didn't rise to the level of of generals. It's kind of interesting in our history, uh, modern history. We don't see our military leaders, uh, Eisenhower the, being the exception, um, particularly excelling in national politics. The ones that tried Wesley Clark, the military guys, Wesley Clark washed out pretty quickly. Um, you know, uh, Colin Powell washed out, you know, didn't really go uh, too far. I wonder why that is. Do you have any sense? Uh, well, I do think there was a uh, gap of several decades, which is a part of the legacy of Vietnam when the military became somewhat discredited in the minds of uh, many Americans. But that is all changed. That all changed after 9-11, and there's a new uh, younger younger by several generations, uh, I think, crop of young men uh, who are destined for future political stardom. And you mentioned Tom Cotton. He's certainly one. And there are others like that. So stay tuned. Yeah. I think we're going to have... Yeah. I think we'll, we'll, we'll see over the next 
10 or 20 years, uh, the return of, of military leaders into politics. Well, we're talking with John Schlafly, and we're talking about leaders and leadership, and in part because I wanted to pick his brain. Maybe I was building all the whole time to this. I recall uh, with great fondness the time we visited General Singlob in Franklin, Tennessee, and General Flynn was there. Um, uh, General Flynn also visited. And, um, you know, what, what General Flynn, of course, spoke at one of our Eagle Councils. You saw him speak there. What's your impression of him? What's your sense of him? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts in this? This is such a historic um, a series of events around this historic presidency, what we're seeing unfold. And I, I don't know, you have any observations on General Flynn? Well, General Flynn is a fine man. Uh, of course, during all of his extraordinary legal trial, he's been unable to speak. And uh, the few times he has spoken, it's been uh, platitudes, basically. And you can understand that because uh, he's at the mercy of a federal judge. Until that shadow is lifted over him, we don't really know, I think, what the real General Mike Flynn is. Although I, I had the privilege, I did have the opportunity to hear General Flynn speak uh, at a meeting uh, a few days before the Republican convention in 2016 in Cleveland. And uh, mm-hmm. I was very, very impressed with General Mike Flynn and his command of the challenges facing the country. Of course, he was a supporter of Trump then. And... Uh, uh, I, I, I expected that General Flynn would join the administration, which he did. Um, but he's been through four years of, well, hell, basically, uh, by being caught up into the horrible justice system. And the revelations are just appalling, appalling. And more, more yeah. today about the conspiracy to destroy him, not because anybody, not because anybody really... Uh, had it out for him, but as a simply as a lever to get at President Trump, that was the motive, and uh, General Flynn was just collateral damage. You know, John, you said something er- er- earlier in an exchange that you and I had. I think it was on, uh, on on text or email. You referred to Mark Stein, who spoke last night, and he used the phrase, "The process is the punishment." In other words, that what they put Flynn through. Is as you know, he could have served. He could have served a term of six months in prison. It would have been lighter than the last three and a half years of what they did. And I guess you know the one thing I was going to say. You know, you and I know sort of the inside of this is our legal system has become that. It's become a process to punish the parties, and and it's really an extraordinary thing to see what they did to Flynn. And when they write the tally down of the dollars spent, it's probably ten million dollars that he had to spend. But I mean, it's it's more like ten million years of of uh, punishment. It's amazing. The process is the punishment. Yes, and, Flynn, and General Flynn was not well served by his first legal team, who were the most prestigious legal firm in Washington for decades, called Covington and Burling. And I really hope that uh, once he, General Flynn disposes of this matter, he will uh, uh, yeah. assign Turn his around good and... lawyer, Sidney Powell, to see what remedy he has against the lawyers <laughs> at Covington who who betrayed General Flynn. Yeah, I think there's there going to be, be some a remedy of that's there. True. At, a, at, yeah, at the very think... least, to re, to to reclaim all the fees they were paid. But well, maybe more than I that. Think I, yeah, I think he should sue. The, my, I, I want him to sue the Pulitzer Committee because I'll tell you later, or the listeners later. But the Pulitzer Committee 
not only gave the Washington Post a Pulitzer for their Russia hoax investigation, including Flynn, but they, they sua sponte decided that the New York Times had not applied for the Pulitzer, which was supposed to do. They gave it to them, too. In other words, the Pulitzer lent its fading credibility to the Russia hoax, to damning uh, Flynn. And all of those articles that they cite are anonymous government sources saying the junk that was in these same pleadings. It's extraordinary. Anyway, John, we got to run. John Schlafly, as always, his, uh, his writings are the Schlafly Report, available at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for being with us, John. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Ed. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be right back. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. I promise to tell you today about Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's paper trail, which she should have been interrogated about during her confirmation hearings, but was not, because the senators were too chicken to dare to question a lady. Correction, she's not a lady. She's a person who does not approve of gender-specific words, such as lady. Besides, she's a feminist, one of those female persons who say they want to be treated like a man, but of course they don't really. Anyway, here is some of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's nonsense from her 1977 book called Sex Bias in the U.S. Code. It sets forth all the changes in our laws that the feminists were demanding to allegedly make women equal to men. The book was published and paid for by the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, so it must have been important. Here are some of the extremist concepts from the Ginsburg book that could have made hilarious entertainment for viewers of the confirmation hearings on television. Ginsburg called not only for drafting women into the military, but for giving them affirmative action assignments. She declared the traditional family obsolete by writing, It is a prime recommendation of this report that all legislation based on the breadwinning husband and dependent homemaking wife pattern be wiped off the law books. She called on government to take over child care, to legalize prostitution, and to sex-integrate the prisons, the Boy Scouts, and the Girl Scouts. The senator's failure to interrogate Ruth Bader Ginsburg about her silly book when her Supreme Court nomination was considered was a travesty. So now we are stuck with a Supreme Court justice who thinks it is okay to recognize foreign law as better than our own Constitution. Ruth Bader Ginsburg does not deserve to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. You've seen the desperation of women's marches, the disgrace of Planned Parenthood, the rise of savvy young conservative women, Radical feminism is heading down a dead-end road. Voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Good to be with you and uh, glad there's so much to cover. And uh, We've covered as much as we could. We'll have some bad job numbers tomorrow or bad more, more details on some jobs and things and next week i mean it's gonna be brutal uh, it looks like the preview of some of those that's out is you know it's uh, 
almost 30 million people who are unemployed. I mean, it's going to be rough here for a while. Uh, but we'll talk more about that. I mentioned earlier, I think it's really good news. The president has uh, uh, let the national um, uh, stay-at-home order lapse uh, and in favor of telling the states to figure out what to do there where they are. I think that makes the, I think that's the right way to spread the decision-making risk meaning we're going to have to make some hard picks and some hard decisions, but we're ready to do it because we can't stay, pardon me, we can't stay shut down for much longer. I think everybody knows that. So now I do want to talk about that for a minute, though. I, I got in this discussion, I think I've told you before, I was, um, I, I now Zoom with some buddies of mine from college, my my friends, my best friends from college. There's a, there were 10 of us that lived together uh, in our senior year, so there's a bunch of guys. And we did, again, last night, we're talking about this, and, and I, I was trying to point out uh, various subjects, but then I heard this discussed later on on uh, cable TV, too. Someone said, oh, boy, you know, people, the governments are using this as a power. The coronavirus is a way to grab power and get control of us. And I just got to tell you, I can't imagine how you can take that argument seriously and look at President Trump. He, he, doesn't, he didn't want to shut down the economy. He doesn't want to. There's nothing good about what's happening. There's nothing helpful about what's happening in terms of this is all terrible stuff in every way. And you have to, be some, you have to really sort of twist yourself in knots to think that the president wants this. Or, or you have to think that for the president has suddenly been mesmerized and duped by, you know, Fauci, Burks, and a few others. I, I just don't see that. What I, and so people say, is that is that the ulterior motive of the, the Wuhan uh, coronavirus that somehow it's going to be used to do it? Well, look, Rahm Emanuel was candid enough, you know, 10 years ago to tell us the truth or 12 years ago, you know, to tell us the truth, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, I think he was expressing a political reality, if not uh, a personal reality for him. But so I think that there's something to that. But I would say this. I don't think it's a, a, this whole thing is an effort to grab control or power. I think what happens is in a crisis, leaders who don't know better or who may be really evil will do that. But the more likely place that happens is at the local level. The more likely place it happens is in your states and your local communities, especially local communities. When you see these threats like de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio threatening the Jewish community over their um, uh, worship and, 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 and uh, burial uh, services, I mean, that's really bizarre. Now, he's a big leader. You know, the, the mayor of New York is a leader. You know, that's like a leader, leader of a small country in terms of the size of the economy, number of people. But, but I mean that the local control is where you see that. Washington, D.C., where I have to venture quite frequently, is kind of uh, threatening to lock down for longer than seems to make sense. Again, Maybe you have to phase things in. You have to use judgment. But a lot of times uh, the, the threat will be from poor leadership, not necessarily evil leadership. I think there's a difference. And I think, I think, it, I think we need to be careful to acknowledge um, that this is really a crisis. Now, however you want to debate about what we could or couldn't have done, could have done differently. We've done what we've done. And we're going to do what we need to do. And there's going to be ups and downs in that. Uh, but it doesn't look to me. I don't see a lot of um, President Trump and the Trump administration or anybody else grabbing power or getting control. I just don't see that. I see a lot of people struggling to figure out how to keep people safe and try to move the thing forward. And I think they're, go- they're doing the best they can. And now more of that effort and at least more of that um, responsibility is going to be spread to the local level. And I think that usually works better. If you're a conservative, you think it works better because the local people will know how to do things, and they also will be closer to the people that it's doing it to. You know, if you live in Billings, Montana, and you need to talk to the governor, well, he's not too far away. If you need to talk to the president, he's pretty far away. So I think that makes a difference. All right, 
Well, that's all we got for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back uh, tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. we got some great guests. Thank you to Noah for holding us together as our technical director. Joanna for helping book. And thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. <laughs>